Thanks, Chris. I just wanted to let everybody know that this Thursday night is uh, the food and prayer event at the Penasquitas Lutheran Church, which uh, we helped launch its original founding by Shelley Cowper Smith and our church. Uh, they allow you to come anytime between 4 and 8 because they'll be bagging food and fresh fruit that's donated and they'll put, putting up tables. But this is a great opportunity where you go and you give away food to those who are less fortunate and, and need this kind of community outreach. They need a hug. They need a smile. They need God's blessing on them. And there's a prayer room. And this is the place where I learned how to pray for healing for people. And I learned how to pray and ask God for words for people. So you have that opportunity starting around 5.30. You can pray for the volunteers. And then at 6 o'clock, people start going through the line to pick up the food. And oftentimes, they'll be brought into the prayer room because they want prayer. And you can just sit there and try and pray for a blessing, listen to their story, and ask God whether he has a word for them. And so if you're looking to learn your spiritual gifts, this is one of the best opportunities. So this church is Penasquitas Lutheran Church, located at Highway 15 and Carmel Mountain Road. And it's this Thursday night. Now, the prior Thursday, there's one in Poway behind the Ford dealer at the Resurrection Church. Very similar format. I used to do both of them. Uh, when the church helped launch them, Donette and I helped launch the prayer rooms. So, folks, I was skeptical whether you could hear from God or whether you would see healing. This is where I saw it. This is where I learned it. So, if you want to get out and get active with God in relationship, I guarantee you, you will feel blessed when you leave having helped 50 to 100 other people get the food they need for their families and get the blessings they need from God. So I, I recommend it. And, and while I have the microphone, uh, Pastor John said that I could tell a testimony of something that happened on Good Friday, if that's okay. He said he might want to record this, guys. So I don't know if you have that capability on such short notice. Uh, but as, as many of you know, like I said, when I first started going to these events, I was kind of doubtful that people could really hear from God or that people were still getting healed from him miraculously. That was eight years ago. So I kind of rededicated my life to figuring that out and whether I could hear from God. And, and he really blessed me through these community food and prayer events and praying on the prayer team here and the intercession. So Friday, I was I really had some tough weeks at work. I was working all day. I went out at lunch and just sat in my car for a few minutes and basically apologized to God that I couldn't get away that day to go celebrate Good Friday somewhere. And I was sad that I had been missing a lot of things because of work. So I had the opportunity to get off at 4.30, and I had one hour to get home. Hadn't worked out in a couple days either. I was going to go grab a workout, get home, and then we had an appointment we had to go to. I'm just excited. I finally have an hour to myself. I get on the elevator. A woman walks in, and then a young, young black man walks in. And I'm just kind of staring at the elevator instructions, you know, not looking at anybody eye to eye. And all of a sudden, I hear the Lord say, as clear as day in my head, there's a righteous man. And I'm like, okay, Lord, this is a 10-second elevator ride. You know, what am I supposed to do that he's a righteous man? So I thought, I'm in a hurry. This is my first freedom all week. I'm going to go. So as we walk out the door, I open it for him. And he says, thank you, sir. I hope you have a very good Easter. And I said, okay, Lord. I'll talk to him. So I said, you know, it's funny that you said that. But the Lord told me when you stepped into the elevator, there's a righteous man. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. I said, you know, I'm a minister. I minister at various places. I'm a chaplain. But sometimes I hear the Lord pretty clearly. And he said, you're a righteous man. He says, oh, you said, you don't know how much that means to me. He said, I've made so many mistakes in my life and with my family. He says, I'm in a pretty bad situation right now living, but I've got another job and I'm digging myself out financially. I've made amends with my wife. He said, look, in my, in my car, I only listen to K-Love and, and religious stations. You know, I, I love to be surrounded by God. And, and so thank you for saying that. And while he's telling me, God is starting to tell me a little bit about his life. He's got two jobs, but I can feel in my in my gut that he's trying to start another one. He wants financial freedom. And I'm just asking the Lord, I'm having a conversation, Lord, what is it? What is he trying to do? And I heard the word Uber. So I heard. And I said, are you trying to build a new job? And he said, yeah, I'm going to probably get a third job. And I said, is it Uber by any chance? And he stepped back against the door of his car and he said, how could you know that? And I said, well, like I said, sometimes God speaks to me. And I feel like he really wants to bless that because you're doing it for the right reasons. You're doing it for your kids, right? He said, yeah. And you're doing it to reconcile with your wife, right? He said, yeah. And I said, I feel like God wants to bless that. He says, wow, can't believe you just said that. 
So he continues to tell me more of his life story. 20 minutes has run by in the front of my business office now. And he's starting to cry about the mistakes that he's made, but how he's turning it around. And the Lord says, he has a problem in his left hip. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll pray for that. So I finally he's done telling me all the things that's going on in his life. And I said, listen, I feel like the Lord wants me to pray for you. This is why he usually stops me, because he wants to encourage somebody. Do you have problems in your left hip? He says, man, do I have problems in my left hip. How do you know this kind of stuff? I said, this is God. I wouldn't know this. I just met you, right? He says, look at my car seat. And he points me over to his car. And he's got this contraption on his seat. He says, I have to sit on that because I've had pain in my left hip for about eight years. And I have to drive and sit on that so the pain will go away. And he starts to cry. And he says, I can't believe that God showed you that. And I said, well, he shows me stuff like that. So I'll pray for it. So I asked him if I could pray for him. I put my hand on his shoulder. And we sat and we wept and we prayed encouragement for financial blessing and healing over his life for about 15 minutes in front of the parking lot. Shot my hour down to about 25 minutes. But I walked away from that counter saying, Lord, you're so funny. I felt like you'd be mad at me today because I didn't have time to spend with you. And you stopped me along the way. And you gave me a blessing like that. Three, not 2,300, but, but it was still a really good turnout. So he's checking the notes right now. All right. Love covers a multitude of sins. So I'm covering yours right now. This book, The Purpose Driven Life. Anybody ever heard of this book? It was written by Rick Warren years ago. We have five of them. This one is one of them with a 40 day of purpose uh, study guide that goes with it. And we're just giving them. So the first five that take those off the table, uh, they are yours. So um, I'm going to ask Mark and uh, Shelly and Jan to come up, and we're going to pray over these guys. We, uh, right? No, we're going to do this first. Because I'm running the show, so I'm going to do what I want. All right, so uh, Mark and Shelly are headed to Mexico. We, we, uh, I'm getting this out for Brother Mark. Les, you need to pray for Mark's left hip. Is it your left hip? Huh? Oh, you're right. Well, we don't do right hips. We only do left hips around here. Mark's going to be sitting and teaching today. So we're going to get this all set up. Oh, you do? All right. Or table. Just after inception and birth. Uh, so... Today we're launching a brand new series called Relationships That Last. How many of you uh, would like your relationships to last a lifetime? We all do, right? Relationships are hard, but they are the greatest joy in life when they work right. So today we're launching a brand new series called Relationships That Last. And Mark uh, is going to open this series. So let's welcome Pastor Mark as he opens the series. Is this cool or what? Look, you guys. A stool with armrests. If I could get on it, things would be good. So, uh, maybe some of you are wondering why the crutches. Um, stress fracture of the right hip. So, the doctor says that um, if I stay on crutches for four weeks then um, maybe it'll heal itself. And if not, then we have to go in and do the pins and the metal thing. And that'll... Les doesn't like to pray for me, John. Come up here and pray for him. This is... Come on, let's get up here. Les prays for total strangers, but he's not willing to pray for For me. For those of you visiting today, here's one of our deep values. We don't want to just teach about the kingdom of God. We actually want to experience it, right? So I'm interrupting Mark's opening because... Again, we don't want to just be a teaching church. We want to be a demonstration church where we actually live the stuff and see the stuff. Amen? So, you know, there's no reason for him to have a testimony of healing a hip, and then we have a pastor who's got a hurt hip, and we don't pray for him. That's just, that's called, that's a gift of spiritual stupidity. So let's not have that gift in this church. Go, let's go. Here we go. Thanks, man. Father, we thank you that you are the Lord God, our healer. You are Jehovah Rapha, and you do not change. You are a good God, and you love Mark. 
And Father, we know that your love manifests in different ways. And Lord, we pray today the manifestation of healing by the Holy Spirit of yes, God Lord. for his right hip. Lord, that you would rebuild that bone. That yes, you would fortify Lord. It, yes, Jesus. It. Lord, that you would give him all that he needs to regain all the strength to heal that. It would be so powerful that the doctor would know that it was a miracle from God. Yes, that's right, Lord. So, Lord, we just declare your peace, your mm-hmm. presence, your power, just as if mm-hmm. Jesus was here on the earth. And he is by the Holy Spirit of God. And he gave us the authority to stand in his ministry with Jesus. the Holy Spirit. And we just declare as he did, healing in yes, the right hip in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank All you, right. Les. Thank you. Well, the last time I preached sitting on a stool was because I was extremely tired and I got halfway through the message and I got so excited I got off the stool and started jumping around like I normally do. Please, if you see me jump off this stool, somebody come up and slap me in the face and speak sense to me. All right. Okay, so this series, Relationships That Last, and this is the introduction. And how many of you remember the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love? Let's just sing it quickly. All you need is love, love, love is all you need, do, 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 do. All right, there, we've had a bonding moment. This is entitled, All You Need Is Love. Here's the truth. It is impossible to overemphasize the place of love in the kingdom of God. The only thing in our tradition as Christians in the last hundred years, The only thing that rivals the centrality of love in our present Christian experience is truth. And oftentimes, truth and love appear to oppose one another. And in the tradition that I grew up in, truth was stressed and love was not. And what we produced in that tradition was uh, very, very good Pharisees. We beat each other up with the truth. And I think that there's a move of God now in in churches around the world where we're moving more towards the centrality of love. Now, we can't forget truth. You see, a great writer once said that the Bible counsels us to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And this writer said, truth without love is too hard but love without truth is too soft. So always there must be a balance. But the problem is there hasn't been a balance. The the, the equation has favored the truth side of things at the expense of love. And so, you know, when this thing heals, the muscles in this leg are going to have to be rebuilt because they have atrophied to some degree while being on crutches. So for some period of time after this injury more effort will go into this leg than the other leg. In fact, right now, the left leg is getting a lot stronger, believe me, than the right leg. So for a period of time, I'm going to have to overemphasize the right leg just to get it back to normal. Hello? We're in the phase where we have to overemphasize love for a little while to get it back to normal, to be the balance that it's always supposed to be. And if we're going to talk about relationships and relationships that last, if we don't talk about love, there's no point in even trying it. The only thing that makes relationships work is love. Without a foundation of love, it's unsafe to speak truth. Right. Hello? Without a foundation of love, speaking truth is actually a damaging thing to relationships. How often has God withheld the truth from you that you needed to hear? When I first became a Christian, I was such a disgusting, foul person that when the light first shined in my heart, I thought, I am far worse than I ever guessed. I am a mess. And I said to the Lord, you've heard me say this before, but some of you are new, so let me say it. I said to the Lord, okay, tell me the truth. I want to know what's wrong with me. Go ahead, just give it to me. And I had a list of my failures and my character flaws. A mile long. And I thought, God's just going to chronologically go through that list and it's going to take years just to hear what's wrong with me. So I said, take your best shot. And I meant it. I I, I wanted to know. Help me change. Because I'm a mess. What sin do you want me to address first? 
And it's really bad ones, people. Manipulation, abusing people, using them. Pride, unbelievable pride. Cruelty, disrespect for the weak. I mean, God, it was just horrible. So I'm stealing myself for, go ahead, give it to me. Go ahead, give it to me. And he said, the one sin I want you to start with is, you know how you always take the last piece of pizza? I said, yes. He said, don't do that anymore. <laughs> Seriously. I said, what? It, like, I, I said, what? But really I was saying, what kind of God are you? That you don't respect your own book. You're dealing with a moral reprobate here and you want me to start with the last piece of pizza. And he said, yes. Baby steps, people. Sometimes he holds back the truth out of love. He takes us where we are. And he brings us forward with a whole lot of love and enough truth to keep us moving in the right direction. Hello? Here's the greatest irony about the balance between truth and love. When we emphasize truth, We forget that the greatest truth we can say about God is His love. The irony is, you want to talk real truth? The greatest truth you can say about Him is He's a God of mercy. Stop it. And He's a God of love. You guys, quit fooling around. This is great being up here. I love this. (laughs) You don't want the truth. What movie did that come from? You good men. All right. The greatest truth we can say about God's nature is His love. And here's what happens. At the moment of your conversion, a hidden miracle took place. The miracle you're aware of at the moment of your your conversion is uh, usually His love and forgiveness. And it's an overwhelming experience of grace. But there's a hidden miracle just as powerful as your miracle of forgiveness that takes place at conversion. He supernaturally creates instant family, and you're part of it. Now, we are usually usually vertically aware of the relationship of intimacy with Him that comes in conversion. It's only through time that we begin to understand the intimacy of relationship that exists horizontally with our brothers and sisters. But listen, it's every bit as important as the first one. And we're going to discover in a minute from the Bible that if the second one's not right, you should question whether the first one is. Hello? If the second one's not right, there might be something wrong with the first one. We're going to get to that verse in a minute. At the moment of your conversion to Jesus, your identity was supernaturally changed. You now belong to love. And you have the capacity to love with the perfect love of God who is love. You see how central this whole love thing is? How many times... Have you heard someone say something to you like this? I just, I, I just not, I'm just not sure of who I am. I, 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 I don't, I don't, I'm not sure of what my purpose is. There's this, uh, <laughs> there's a whole movement called self-actualization movement, where the whole idea is to discover yourself, so you can be yourself. Have you ever heard this? I need to be true to myself. Our identity to us as individuals is absolutely huge. I really want to know who I am. Well, can make it easy for you. As Christians, we can answer that question. Love is your new identity. Your identity now is love. 1 John 4.8 Listen to this. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Just, just, just let the radical nature of that statement sink in for a minute. Whoever does not love doesn't know God. You don't even know God unless you're loving. Because He is love. It's His nature. You were made by love to love. Love is your identity. And any time we wander off of that, we wander wander into a false understanding of who we really are. 
And that false understanding will always mislead us. Listen to this. This is even more to the point. 1 John 4.16, eight verses later, John says this, Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Whoever lives in love, whoever loves, lives in God and God in him. We partake in the divine nature of God when we love because he is love. We experience him when we love because he is love. I just find this, less the story that you told, absolutely prophetic to this point in the message. There you were wishing you had time to be intimate with God. Are you listening to me? There you were wishing you had time to connect with God and be intimate with Him to express your appreciation for Easter and the cross. You had a heart that longed to say thank you to Him and experience His intimacy and your connection with Him and you ended up ministering to some guy. You sacrificed your time and your agenda to minister some, to some guy that radically touched his life. And the net result less was you felt closer to God than you had in months. Am I right? That's just the way it works. You're never closer to God than when you're loving somebody. Because he is love and it's what he does. It's his purpose. We participate in the divine nature of God when we love because He is love. You're never more intimate with God than when you're loving someone with His love. We have this mistaken idea that we are most intimate with God during worship. When we sing our love to Him. The fact is, God's Word tells us we're more intimate with God when we're sharing His heart with another one of His children by loving them. Don't confuse love with sentiment. I'm not knocking worship, people. I thrive in worship. When I make that connection with Him and I feel His presence, it changes me. My hope is restored. My identity is clarified to me. This is precious. But don't confuse sentimentality with sacrificial love. There was nothing sentimental about Jesus on the cross. That wasn't a sentimental moment. It tore him apart. He didn't feel good about it, but he was never closer to the heart of God than when he was giving himself for people. Hello? In these moments of loving someone else, we experience the miraculous joy of the depths of God's heart because we're becoming one with his heart. Number two, first of all, love is our identity. Secondly, love is the proof to us of our new identity. How do you know you're really a Christian? How do you know how you're doing as a Christian? How do you know your identity's really changed? Not only is our love for one another our new identity, it is the proof to us of our new identity. Listen to this. 1 John 3.14. Now listen. We know. Let's capitalize that. We know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love our brothers and sisters. If you're wondering, are you really saved? Has your behavior towards your brothers and sisters changed since you professed Jesus? See, all the evidence we need to assure ourselves of the authenticity of our conversion to Jesus is the love we give to our brothers and sisters. If you have not found yourself more loving to your new Christian family after your conversion, you should question your conversion. That was bracing, wasn't it? But it's the truth. John 13:35 You are mine if you have love for one another. God, this guys, this isn't this plain? 
Like really, I don't know. If if you said if you said God in your word, could you really make it plain? Could you just make this whole loving one another issue really plain? Could could you just none of these riddle stuff like Old Testament, Lord? None of these weird farming analogies like Jesus does all the time. Could you just come out and could you just could you just get in my face and please could you just say it? Okay, John says, we'll just say it. Nothing, nothing could be plainer than this. Shelley sometimes asks me how I'm doing with my relationship with God. And she'll sometimes say, how is your quiet time? And I will usually end up telling her how my quiet time's going and what he's spoken to me lately. But the fact is, I'm missing my point. My answer to her when she says, how are you doing with the Lord? Get it? How are you? How are you doing with the Lord, Mark? My answer should be, you can answer that better than I can. You tell me, how am I loving you? Seriously. My, my mentor and I get, a, get together for lunch about these days, not often, maybe once every six months. And he knows me really well. So he says to me, he's this kind of guy. I mean, you know, you wouldn't like him, believe me. He's not likable. We're sitting down. We haven't, we haven't even got into the salad yet. And he says, how are you doing on your selfishness? No, seriously, because he said, you're one of the most selfish people I've ever known. I took it as a compliment. <laughs> so every time we get together, he says, how are you doing on your selfishness? And I say, you're going to have to ask Shelley. Because that's the test. That's how I'll know. But I said, but she tells me I'm doing really well. And he looks at me like, really? You? Well, that's what she says. I'm not one to judge. What do I know about me? Really, what do I know about me? Other than maybe the effect I'm having on other people. The proof is in the pudding. My sentiment... My sentimental feelings towards God mean less than nothing if I'm not loving those around me. My cuddly quiet times and my passionate worship don't mean a thing. They're nothing but sentiment unless there is the proof of love in my life. Number three, our love for one another is the proof to the world of our new identity. It's not just the proof to me of my new identity. It's the proof to the world that I'm really who I say I am. Listen to this, John 13, 35. What a statement. By this, all men, everybody, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. How much plainer could that be number four our love for one another is the proof to the world of jesus identity now it gets serious people it's one thing for me to present myself to the world as a christian and my love decries my statement it's one thing for me to say, hey, I'm a Christian. And the world says, I don't see you loving your brothers and sisters. I don't think you're really a Christian. Who loses? Me. They think, well, you're just a poser. But do you see what Jesus is doing here? Our love for one another is the proof to the world of his identity. And this is radical. How much more radical could it be that God come to earth with a message to change eternity would tie the credibility of that message to how we love one another. Now it's serious. It's not just, you know, they don't take me seriously. Now they don't take him seriously. Does the Bible really say that? Well, let's have a look. John 17, 20 to 23. Now, this is Jesus. Let's just set the stage. This is the night before he's dying. He's going to die. And he knows he's going to die, but the disciples don't know he's going to die. 
And they're doing what all sane people would have if they had 24 hours left to live. He's bringing his friends together to eat. Isn't that great? He's bringing his friends together to share a meal together. And he's going to share his heart. This is like a deathbed confession. This is one of those. These are going to be serious words. These are the last things. These are the last message before he dies. And they don't even know what's going on. But they're there with him. And he's going to speak his heart. The things that matter most to him. The things they really need to get right in here. We're looking in this passage into the very heart of God. And he says this. And he's praying to his father. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, the guys that are with him, his disciples. He says, my prayer, Father, is not for them alone. Now listen, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. All right, who are the people that believed in him through their message? We are. The only reason we're sitting here in this room today is because of this. I also pray, for, he's pray. this is the only recorded prayer of Jesus for us. Goes forward 2,000 years, reaches into the future, touches every Christian that's ever believed in the message that started that day. Covers all of us. Goes into eternity to the last moment of the last human breath before the final judgment. It reaches forward for all time. This is his prayer for us. For you. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. What's the mess? What's the prayer? That all of them may be happy and rich. Oh, physically fit and attractive. That all of them may have perfect teeth, Father, just as you and I have perfect teeth in heaven. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me. And I am in them. The degree, listen, the degree of connectedness that God has worked at the moment of your conversion with your Christian brothers and sisters has the same power and intimacy as the connectedness between Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Now, how serious is it that we love one another? Father, just as you're in me and I'm, I'm in you, may they also be in us. Now, the unity is not just horizontal between us as a faith family on earth. It's also vertical where we are gathered together with God. We are part of his family. We get to join the Trinity in the kind of love that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't know how much better than that it can get. When we sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I'm a child of God, this is what we are talking about. It's not some tacky adoption. Our, our nature has been transformed into the divine nature by virtue of His indwelling love. We are transformed. We are not red-headed stepchild. We bear the family resemblance. We have his DNA within us because his love lives within us. Our nature is love. He is love. We are made for love, by love, for love. Love is the proof of our identity. The proof of our identity to ourselves. And it is the proof of his identity to the world. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Don't let unity take you off track. When he says complete unity, he's not talking about a political movement or membership in a country club. He's talking about love. Unity cannot exist without love. All unity is, is the organizational expression of the underlying relational reality of love. That they may be brought to complete love. Now listen, then, 
When you see a then, what's it mean? The same as if. Something has to come first. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The message of Jesus to the world rests upon the reality of our love for one another. It's a profound responsibility. But thank God that He never calls us to a responsibility that He does not give us authority and power to accomplish. This is not the receipt of a greater burden. This is the receipt of a greater blessing. When He says, I want you to love one another, what He's saying is, let me live through you and love one another. Cooperate with my love. You can't create it. And you can't fake it. Oh, when you fake it, it's called religion. But when we cooperate with it, all sorts of amazing things happen. We live a supernatural life. Unity is really little more than the state of our relationships when we're loving well. Unity is just love well realized. What a radical statement. Listen, Jesus has so many things that he could use as the proof of his divinity. Miracles, prophecies, wisdom, his sacrifice, the cross, his love. Yet he pins his credibility with the world on our love for one another. Why is this? Because when the world sees his love between humans, it is the best expression of his truest nature because it is love in our human language, which we can comprehend and say, wow. And we have this crazy privilege of being his illustrations of his love. Now, it works like this. Let's look at this next slide. We have somehow gotten the idea that our witness of the faith to the world looks like this. Each one of us is one of these little orange stars in a black, black background. And each one of these little stars reflects the beauty of God out into the darkness. And see, through the lens of individualism, which, by the way, individualism as a social construct and as a political philosophy is only 200 years old. Prior to individualism coming on the scene about 200 years ago, there was no idea of individualism. It was a tribal reality. You took your identity from the people you were in community with. You shared a common identity. It's only in the last 200 years that we've thought of ourselves as fundamentally individuals as opposed to being connected to a tribe. That means for most of human history, this idea that we take as self-evident was never evident. So we see ourselves through the lens of individuality as these beautiful stars, some brighter than others, admittedly, but as stars in a black background reflecting into the void some of the beauty of God. And we say, people will know we're Christians because we're good people and because they'll see God's love in me. They'll admire me. I've been waiting, in my case, it's obvious, but I mean, I've been waiting all my life for someone to say, I want to be more like you. How do you do it? And I say, it's Jesus. And they say, tell me about Jesus. I, I'm waiting for that. I'm 66 years old next week. And um, it hasn't happened yet. I know you're saying, of course, I know you. It's never going to happen. <laughs> but we have this idea that that's how it's supposed to work. Oh, you're so amazing. Oh, you're just so Christ-like. Oh, you're so flipping wonderful. I want to be more like you. How do you do it? Well, it's my hair care products, actually. That's how we think it works. 
one of many points of God's light, each one a proof of his love for each individual. A sea of beautiful stars, very beautiful and compelling picture, but what if it's not really accurate? What if this is what it looks like? What if there's bright lines of light, of love, connecting all the stars with each other? And what if what the world sees are those lines of light more than the dots? What if they really see God through the connecting lines of love that are very bright and stand out against that black background? What if our love for one another is the expression that they will see most clearly? What the Bible is telling us is that God is displayed to the world by the lines of love between us. And here is a text which says it as well as it can be said. 1 John 4.12 No one has ever seen God because they live in that black background. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us and they will see his nature. Does it make sense? Is it making sense? No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, in our relationships, amongst us, between us, and his love is made complete in us. How can the love of God be incomplete? And yet this verse tells us it isn't complete until it's complete in us. When we love one another, we are the fulfillment of his love. We are the final illustration. We are the fruition of it. We are what his love was designed to be. And when the world sees that, they say, oh my, that looks really good. I would like to be part of that. I don't want to be be like Mark, but I want to be part of that. This verse is telling us three vital truths. The first is this. No one has ever seen God. God cannot be adequately described. He must be demonstrated. One of my favorite stories, I think it's true. I I can't tell you whether it is or not because it would be very hard to track down, but it goes like this. There was a Russian dissident, political dissident, who was imprisoned um, in a Soviet prison, a gulag, and he shared a cell with a criminal who was in there for serious crime. Just the two of them in this room. They were there for years. And the dissident was a Christian, and he continued telling his cellmate about God. But the guy just wasn't buying it. The, the criminal was an atheist. He just, he listened to him because he got no one else to listen to. But it isn't making any sense. This goes on for years. But every time the Christian would get a care package with a little bit of food or a blanket or whatever, he would share it or give it entirely to his cellmate just out of the love of God. And this went on and on. And one day he was telling his cellmate, the atheist, again about about what God was like and who God is and the plan of salvation. And finally, the atheist said, "You you, you talk about what he's like all the time, but I don't get it. What is he really like? And the Christian finally in exasperation said, He's a lot like me. And the atheist said, well, if he's a lot like you, then I want to believe in him. It's about the love. God cannot be adequately described. He's got to be demonstrated. When we love one another, we demonstrate what he's really like. Number two, 
If we love one another, God lives in us. Lives in us, plural. That word is not lived in you as individuals. The word being used here is plural. He lives in you as a community. He indwells his faith community. Not simply as individuals. This is a conditional statement. If we could put it in the negative, it would be equally true. If we do not love one another, God does not live amongst us. Now, the point is not saying that if you're not loving, you're not going to heaven. The point is that God will not dwell in our community when we're not loving. The evidence of him will not be there. You can have all the power in the world, people. You can have all the power in the world and all the spiritual presence and all of the gifts functioning. Just ask the Corinthian church. And what did Paul say? If you have all these other things that you value so highly, but you do not have love, you are nothing. In fact, he said, really, you're worth worse than nothing. You're a clanging symbol. You're making a lot of noise that's annoying and accomplishing absolutely nothing. In fact, you're a distraction from the, the real thing. Can you imagine a church without love? What would it look like? Imagine a bunch of religious individuals consumed by their own personal experience of God with no regard for anyone else. Number three, it makes God's love complete. The complete expression of God's love is not made visible until we love one another. And the world needs to see the complete expression of God's love in order to know what he is really like. God is seen in the lines of our relationship in our community. We complete his love. And that's it. So, husbands, Love your wife as Christ loves the church. Laying down his life for her. Sacrificing his own comfort and his own preferences. Wives, respect your husbands. Let them lead. Don't make it difficult. Children, Respect your parents. Honor them. Parents, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't be inconsistent with them. Don't let your frustrations and hurt leak out all over them. Brothers and sisters, prefer your brother or your sister. Let them be honored ahead of yourself. Seek to be a servant. Employees, the Lord saith unto you, your boss is an idiot. Respect him. Employers, don't treat your people as resources, treat them as people. You see how practical the Bible is? It doesn't tell us how to love and then not tell us how. Close our eyes and let's end with this. Remember how I asked the Lord when I became a Christian, give me the hard news, what do you want to say? Well, let's just take a minute and let him speak the hard news. Holy Spirit, for each one of us, who do you want us to love? Where, where have we missed it? And we need to ask for your help in this relationship to really love. Holy Spirit, please show us that relationship that I really need to love in. Holy Spirit, how can I 
How can I cooperate with your love in this church? How can I serve and love these people? If he showed you something, spoke to you with someone to love or how to love, just put your hand up quickly. Okay. Father, I pray an outpouring of your love on us for one another. When we love one another, we're really loving you. So we open our hearts to receive more of your spirit, more of your power, all towards the purpose of love. And Lord, as we examine relationships that last, may we always see them through the lens of love, that this is how we learn to love. Because those relationships, most of them will last forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Amen. I'm really glad you opened with this because um, when people ask what we do here, love is the answer. We love God back because he loved us first. That's how it starts. And then we love one another. We love Jesus. We love one another. And we love our world. So when people come to church, you think about it. Anybody can sit at home and watch somebody on TV or listen online, but they're by themselves. So why do they come to a physical building, because we not only want to believe, but we want to belong. That's why it's so hurtful when we come to church and we experience nothing different than we do in the world, at work or at school or in our human relationships, our family relationships. Uh, It's incredibly disappointing. Like, I don't know how it could be any more disappointing. So that's why love is our chief value, our core value here here at the church. And so... um, I just want us to be the most loving place on earth. But that's up to us. We create what this church is. So so today we have an eat and greet. We planted that on purpose right at the opening of this message so that we could connect with one another. So I just want to encourage you, if you're one of the solo artists who come late and you leave early and you don't go to the eat and greets, um, no shame on you. And if you want to run, you can. But. What we would love is if you stayed because you're part of this family. You didn't come here by accident. God drew you here, and you are as important as everybody else here. And you add something nobody else can add, which is you. So love for you to join us. Uh, we're going to we usually break down immediately, but we're going to all go out to the uh, cafeteria where Jeff Forsman, a member of our church, he, is, uh, he's, he set the whole thing up. And uh, I thank God for him. And we're going to go out to the cafeteria, straight out these doors. And lunch is free. And we're just going to hang and be able to actually have a conversation with somebody other than hallelujah, praise the Lord, and speak in tongues. And then you go home. We actually get to sit across from each other and get to know one another. So, God, we love you in this place. We love one another. And we thank you for your presence. And everybody said amen. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Good job.